Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. A number of times over the last few years, he's come and always been such a blessing. So uh, Christian asked him this week, would you come and share a word? So I just want to encourage you to open your hearts to the word because you everything that comes out of Pete's mouth is gold is and from the heart of God. So make sure you get your phones out, your Bible, your notepad, and let's just engage. And why don't we welcome Pete this morning as he comes to bring the word. Thanks, Pete. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, if you take your seats, I can tell you on Friday night, um, I was like a, uh, a rat with a gold tooth, a cat with three bowls of milk. I was like a cat in a hot tin roof. Uh, first off, uh, Collingwood made the grand final. Amen, hallelujah, praise Jesus. And just down the road, the Melbourne Storm made the NRL grand final. So I'm, I'm absolutely pumped for next weekend. Um, a lot of prayer this week, I think will go into it. But um, in March this year, actually, I'm, on my Instagram and Facebook story, I actually, I actually declared in two different posts, I said, declaring the NRL premierships of 2018 the Melbourne Storm and another one was declaring the uh, AFL premiers for 2018 Collingwood. I got a lot of rebuke as you can imagine um, but I've actually now sent messages back to all those people who rebuked me um, some actually saying that I lacked, I lacked I need a lot of faith I told them maybe they lacked faith uh, but the point I'm making is is if you knew me for more than five minutes you would know that I am an avid AFL fan and that Collingwood is like my second religion, if, I, if you're allowed to have a second religion. The, the essence is, if you look at my Instagram story, if you look at my Facebook story, you would get a, a bit of a message about who I am as a person. One is that uh, I love the army and I love anything to do with military history. The second one would be, obviously, first one's obviously God and my time in church, but the next one is army. The next one would be definitely the, um, that I'm a mad Collingwood supporter. The reason I raise this is, is that sometimes we often don't know who we, how we reflect ourselves to the people around us. Because one of the interesting things about humanity is, is that with our nose, they've found that we can smell a perfume that can take us back 20 years, 30 years ago. We can hear a song that can captivate a moment in history. But it's uh, the nose that I want to talk about today. How well do I smell is the prime, uh, theme of the message today. <laughs> and that might be, uh, it's good that we all put on aftershave or perfume today. Uh, but the interesting thing is, why do we do that? Why do we actually have a shower? Obviously, we know that we give off odour. But today I'm not going to talk about our physical odour, because that's another topic for another day. But today I'm going to talk about our spiritual odour. And I would say that humanity was made with a spiritual odour. Whether that's a, uh, one made from Christ or whether that's one made from um, a, a, a not a belief in Jesus or, or whatever, we, every person gives off a persona or an odour when they walk through the world. Uh, I, I work regularly with police dogs and um, I can tell you, those dogs are amazing. Uh, when we're chasing an offender, we'll stop and then we'll cordon off the area where the offender has gone through and... Um, the dog will turn up and he'll get a sniff and that dog will track that person. And I've, I've followed from a, a long distance away because those dogs move pretty fast. But they'll take right into the house where the person's hiding in their bed or, or, in their, or under their bed or in somebody else's backyard. 
And these dogs can actually track you even if you jump on a push bike and you ride. You're still giving off your body odour even when you're riding a push bike and the dog will be able to track you. It's because the dog has such a sensitive nose. But when you look at um, the polar bear, for example, the polar bear is 3,000 times more sensitive than a bloodhound nose, can smell a seal from 20 miles away and a whale from 60 miles away. So this is our nose, this is our sense of who we are. And the thing is that, um, wh what I want to talk about, it's like we're about to probably go to an election shortly. Who's ever been to a voting? You never ever have to guess who's handing out the card to you, which team they're on. Because everything about them oozes who they represent, whether they're the Greens, Labor, Liberal, uh, you know, they've got the colour right, but their whole attitude and their persona of who they represent is quite evident. And the thing we'll be looking at today is, is how well do I smell? Or, as a church, how well do we smell? So if we want to have a look at uh, the first scripture today, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, we read, but, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumph possession, and through us spreads a fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ, amongst those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. The scripture here talks about a, a triumph. Now, if you go back into Roman history, um, Julius Caesar, for example, he had a couple of them. But every time a general won some great battles, um, particularly in, this, in the case of Julius Caesar, uh, he he'd conquered basically what is modern-day Germany, called the Gauls. And he'd been up there for eight years, conquered all this territory, got all this wealth. And when he came back, he brought, the, he brought his forces back through Rome. And what would happen was they would have a triumph. And it was a possession of victory. But it wasn't just a, a, a victory, but it was declaring to Rome a new era had arrived. New wealth had turned up. New prosperity had turned up. This, things were going to change from this moment on. It wasn't just a victory ceremony, but it was about transformation of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had acquired more ground, whatever. There was going to be flow-on benefits to everybody. So these were exciting times. But what happened was he would go through the cities of Rome, and if anyone knows, old Rome used to stink, only because we stink, really, you know. But these, this triumph possession would have heaps and heaps of fragrance. They'd, have, they'd be burning incense and, and oils and that sort of stuff. And what would happen is people would be drawn to the possession. Because not everybody, you know, Rome at that time was a million-odd people. Uh, not everybody knew what was happening. They didn't know, you know, it wasn't like Facebook, you know, and Instagram, and didn't have newspaper and, and, the, and the news. Um, but people would be drawn to the possession because of the noise and because of its odour. And what we see in this scripture, if we go to the message version, uh, which is, uh, we see that it says, in, in the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place as one perpetual victory parade. Through us, he brings knowledge of Christ. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Because of Christ, we set off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognised by those on the way to salvation. So what it's saying is, not what we do here on a Sunday necessarily, but it's what we do in our life gives off a scent to those who are around us that can draw people to Christ. If you have a look at the last census, 
uh, just on 50% of people ticked the box said, I am a Christian. Less than 15% ticked, I go to church. Now, that's a bit of a disparity there, isn't there? You know, I asked that question, you know, if you go to five years before, it was 65% and 16% went to church and 65% believed. For us, often, it's not about who we meet, whether they believe or not. It's whether they see the significance of how their life is going without church and without active involvement in, in, their, in their faith. For a lot of it, it's something like, and, I, and I'll, I'll go back to what I was talking about before, whilst I am a Melbourne Storm supporter, right, I only do that to be sociable because Queensland is like this game called NRL. So I picked a team, right, so I sort of feel like I belong. But do I own a Melbourne Storm jersey? No. Do I own a hat? No. Do I own a flag? No. Do I own a scarf? No. Do I watch them every week? No. Will I watch it on Sunday? Yes. <laughs> but that's just so I feel like I belong. On the other hand, you came to my house. Yes, I do own a Collingwood flag, a Collingwood jersey, a Collingwood hat. I watch them every week, even when I'm in the police car. I have it, I ha I, I have it on my phone. I, I, I read about what's happening to Collingwood weekly, even on the off-season. When they're playing and they're losing and, and, we, and we need to win the game, is my heart pounding? Is, am I stressed? The answer is yes, right? Okay, what's the difference? What's the difference? There is, there's a massive difference because one is, it's who I am. The other one is sort of like a tag on. And for sometimes, Christianity for some people can be a tag on, a Melbourne, Melbourne Storm supporter versus a passionate, one-eyed, pig-headed. And I can tell you, following, following um, Collingwood has made me an excellent Christian. <laughs> Just follow it. You know, they're in their 44th grand final, only won 15. A lot of disappointment. Right there, a lot of disappointment because there's been a lot of journeys where they have not been able to finalise it. We're praying that this Sunday, uh, Saturday is not the case. <laughs> However, the point I'm trying to make is, is that sometimes we are great at smelling when things are rosy. But how do we smell when the team, feel, we feel like we're, as we sung today, in the middle of a storm? When we're in the middle of something, how are we smelling? And the thing with that is, is that uh, how we set our week up and as... As Melissa said today, Sunday is the beginning of the week. You know, God says, give us your first fruits. That's why Sunday is important because it's the first day of the week. If you haven't worked out weekends means Saturday is the end of one week, Sunday is the beginning of another week. That's why they call it the weekend, if you hadn't worked that out. Ah, there you go. There. <laughs> the lights are going on. So Saturday is the end, Sunday is the beginning. Okay. Um, but the point is, is that if we put our week first, God, that's one reason why church is so important. Now, it's really sad that you know, 50% of the population are Christian, but only 15% you know, come to church. And I was down at Byron Bay, and they were saying that their stats are 2% of Byron Bay, Ballina go to church. And I would say Noosa would be, you know, I, I don't know if 15% of Noosa people go to church. I'd say because of our lifestyle, the distractions that we have, all those other things that permeate our life and make us... You know, we look at, it's going to the beach, it's do this, do that. That's what we want to perpetuate. 
If we look at Ephesians 5, verse 2, it says, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given us, given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The thing about life is, it's like, it's like sometimes we think paying tithes. Oh, you know, we had that message last week, right? But isn't that, isn't that not an aroma? Everything we do is an aroma. It's, it's, it's the essence of who we are. Okay, it's like people ask me, have you, you know, like I'm a policeman, and you know, when you run into a house and there's a, a couple of bad dudes in the house, they're possibly armed. What makes? It doesn't make logical sense to run into a house, knowing that there is this overt threat in the house. And and I often think about that question: Why do, why do police and you know, the military run into danger when the brain tells you you would be running away, self-preservation? It's because, and the only essence I can give is uh, the quote that you'll see in all my emails from army and police is that it's not the absence of, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the belief in something greater than fear itself. And to me, that's what I think about Christianity. I think it really is, our aroma is based on a belief in something greater than ourselves. And when we believe in a thing greater than ourselves, that will permeate and affect the atmosphere. The thing, is, the, the thing is, this thing here is our worst enemy, right? This is our friend, this is our enemy. What I mean by that is, is our self-talk and all that sort of stuff and our self-doubt and, and that can, can captivate us, can limit us and, and, and drag us down and create negativity. It's like, like, like marriage. If you're saying, oh, the marriage is over, it's, he's a dud or she's this, she's that, he's that, blah, blah, blah. And if you continually cycle that through your brain, what sort of aroma do you think you're going to give to your partner and to those around you, namely your kids and the people that are circling your family? You're going to actually create a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is this is not going to work. You've already set the conditions for God not to be able to do anything in your life. The moment you arrest your brain, and that's why it says in Romans 12, verse 2, it says daily renewing your mind for the will of God it's that captivating your mind and bringing it to your heart so that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth flows. And we see this, and if you look at Ephesians 5, verse 2 from the message, it says, mostly what God does in love, uh, is, does is love you. Keep company with him. Learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He did not love us in order to get something from us, but to give something to, of himself to us. Love like that. And I really think that, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie called Risen. If you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. It's about, it's about the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ from the eyes of a Roman centurion who was not a believer, who becomes a believer. Sorry for ruining the story. But... <laughs> But the thing is, when you, when you watch that movie and you see how they portray Christ, loving the leper and just loving on people, you could see why Christ's aroma just permeated those people that were around him, that these people passionately followed him. It's about understanding the aroma of Christ and his love for us that we can then show other people. We see also in Philippians 4, it says, "...but I have received everything in full and have an abundance." I am amply supplied, having received from you, what, you, what his name is, 
what you had sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. What he's talking about there is Paul's locked up in prison, about to probably face execution, not sure of his own destiny, but still passionately writing to the churches and fulfilling the love of Jesus on his heart. And he had, he was, because he was a Roman, he wasn't put into jail, he was put into house arrest, but he had to self-fund himself, okay? He had a Roman centurion that had to be paid to stay there, and they were on rotation 24 hours a day, guarding him. Um, but he needed, he needed relief, financial relief, so that he could continue to do what God had called him to do, which was to empower the churches, to build the churches, to encourage the churches. And when he talks about the gift that he got from the, the church of Philippi, uh, which we talked about last time I, was, I preached, but on Philippi, the point is he's saying this is a sweet, fragrant aroma, well-pleasing to God. And what we see from here is the scripture says really is what are we doing, not just on Sunday between 10 and 12, but what are we doing 24-7 that reflects the aroma of God. You know, it talks about, you know, because we can tick a box by going and ticking a box and saying, I come to church, therefore I'm a good Christian. But then you could also be like a Melbourne storm supporter. But I know there are real Melbourne storm supporters here. Um, but for me, it's that, that, that's the attitude you could have. It's just ticking a box. But when you live and you breathe it, and I can tell you, when we drew in 19, 2010 against St Kilda, I thought I was literally going to have a heart attack. <laughs> no, no joke. I thought my life was almost ending. My, I could not believe the pressure I felt. And I was there with my brother, and I thought he was going to have a heart attack. And it was just... But that's the passion of belief. And that's what God's called us to say. Believe in me. Worship me. Live me in your life, not just attend. He doesn't want attenders. He wants contributors. And that's it. When well, we're going to look at, quickly look at Ruth. I'm not going to go through the scriptures, but if you ever want to look at Ruth, Ruth is a great book. It's only a small book, but it's a powerful book. Now, Ruth was a Moabite, and for those who don't know what a Moabite was, that was a descendant of Noah, not Noah, Lot, who slept with his daughters, and they were a cursed race by God. Them and the Moabites bad people. If they were ever to come into the house of Israel, they had to wait 10 generations before they were welcome in the temple. 10 generations the curse lasted for. So you would enter, you would be classed as a reject, you wouldn't be welcomed into the family for 10 generations, which is a long time. Okay, so Ruth's a Moabite, she's married and is, and is Israeli, and uh, he dies. And, and her father-in-law dies, and her brother-in-law dies. And Naomi, her mother... Uh, sorry, her stepmother said, I'm going back to Israel because I need support from my family. I recommend you stay here in Moab, Moab because when you come back, you'll be persecuted because you're not one of us. Oprah, that's why we don't follow Oprah. Oprah stayed at Moabite and uh, Ruth said, no, your God will be my God. And I often wondered well, why Ruth had said, your God will be my God is the only way she would have said that is if Ruth, Naomi, had have lived God, not just attended God. She must have shown something in her life 
that Ruth went, I don't understand anything you're talking about, but whatever you, whoever you worship, I am going to worship. And I look at that as example, and that example is amazing, because could you imagine how you live your life today? This is always a constant reflector in my brain, is how I live my life today, does it draw people to Christ? Or does it make them think you Christians are all hypocrites? Because that's the challenge we have in the church, is that we're often seen as hypocrites. We're good on Sunday, not so good Monday. And so Ruth must have seen something in Naomi, her mother-in-law, that said, I want to be one of you, knowing that she would be rejected from the outset, that her life would not be that pleasant. And we see that with um, Naomi, uh, sorry, so the, the Naomi returns home after the famine. She t- says that she's going to be persecuted. So Ruth says, I'm still coming. Life for the poor and the widow in Israel at that time was hard. Ruth was, un- was fortunate to uh, begin gleaning in the fields of Boaz. So she rocks up and she, she, this is how they eat. So when they go uh, uh, reap the crop, what happens is seeds fall on the ground. The idea of that was you don't pick up the seeds, you let the poor come along afterwards and pick up the seeds. So she would glean the field, which means she'd be on her hands and knees picking up seeds to get enough to make food for the day. Uh, And this is how they operated. And and basically, as the harvest drew near, Naomi noticed that um, young Ruth was smitten by a guy called Boaz. And Boaz was a landowner, he was rich, he was, you know, he was well-to-do, okay? He was from the tribe of Judah, uh, Benjamin, uh, Judah, yeah, Judah, and he, um, he's, he's gleaning away. She's gleaning away, she's obviously battering an eyelid or two. Um, but Boaz, this is the interesting story, Boaz knows that she's a Moabite, a cursed race, a cursed woman, and she's also a widow. You know, if you're a, a rich man looking for... Um, you know, everybody to pat you on the back and think that you're great and that you're going to do well to do. She's not number one property. She's really comes from a damaged background. Okay. So what Boaz does is he finds out who she is and who's her next of kin is. And he finds out he's on the kinsman line, right? But he's not number one. Okay. So he goes to number one and says, Ruth, we're going to do the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer was that if uh, a man died without giving, uh, his wife giving birth to a son, uh, a kinsman, a kinsman which would be like a, um, a brother or an uncle or an auntie, it's not an auntie, an uh, uncle, a uh, cousin or whatever, would have to marry her and produce an heir in his name. Okay? That was the, that was the tradition. So he rocks up to the first guy and goes, he goes, no, nah, I don't want her. She's a mild boy for crying out loud. What do you think I am, an idiot? Um, so what he does is he gets rid of all the kinsmen and he becomes the last one. And then he goes and marries her. The interesting thing is, what made Boaz take Ruth? That's what I think about. Because we know that Mo, um, Naomi must have lived a great life reflecting who, Jesus, or who God was to her, that Ruth followed her. But it must have permeated Ruth so much that she now had an aroma that cast away all the stink and all the stuff that she had on her life that she didn't have before but she now has an aroma that a guy cannot see past and says I must have her 
Interesting thing is, she ends up having a son called Obed, who has a son called Jesse, who has a son called David, who becomes King David. A Moabite woman comes into the, the race and is in the bloodline of Jesus Christ, a Moabite woman. It's the aroma that she must have given off. And I look at that and there's three things that I see from her. She had a practical faith. Her faith wasn't full of you know, um, theology. It wasn't, wasn't pronounced. It wasn't dynamic. It was just a practical faith of doing the right things. It's that little things, one after another, just being in the right place, right time, doing the right thing is the thing that permeated her life. How we believe should impact how we live. Like, um, if I was to grab this bottle of water, and I ask most of you, most of the people here today, what is this? That you'd say it's a bottle of water. But if you ask a Jew what this is, they'll say it's a container holding, refreshing, and life-giving water. That's how they refer to it. They don't call it a bottle of water. They say what it does. And often we do that in life. We're a Christian. Or we're a follower of Jesus who embraces the transformation, transformation nature across the globe. See, it's how we see things will ultimately determine the outcome that we get. And so what we look at is, is this a bottle of water or is it a container holding, refreshing and life-giving water? And that's the difference between our faith. And when we walk in our walk, the Jews have a, a simple principle is don't tell me what you believe. Let me w follow you for two weeks and I'll tell you what you believe. And it's an interesting story when you think about that. Because I know if you followed me, for, if you wouldn't even have to follow me for a day and you would know how much of a Collingwood supporter I am. <laughs> no, literally. <laughs> but you know what I mean? You, you would know straight away. You would see that the only reason I talk about Melbourne now is because they're in the grand final. Okay. But you know what I mean? You would instantly work out who I am based on the time that I have. If someone was to walk with you, this is always the challenge. What would they see? Because I, often it's like the, uh, like the father of, uh, father, um, um, what is his name? Cece, uh, I can't remember his name now. He said, uh, preach the gospel wherever you go and where necessary, use words. Now, that to me is really powerful about really what Christ is about. It's not about the words we say, but it's the actions we have. Like, for example, why do we come here on Sunday? You know, what's the purpose of Sunday church? What's the purpose of connect groups? What's the purpose of, of just fellowship, fellowshipping together? It's so, there's a number of reasons for that. One is, I love it, is iron sharpeneth iron, so does the countenance of a friend. Because when we come together, we become sharper. I know that when I go away with the army for, you know, four, five, six weeks, it's hard to keep myself sharp. Because I'm working, you know, seven days a week, 16 to 17 hour days. I'm focused on what I'm doing. I don't have the time that I normally have to pray and to read. I know that after six weeks, I have become blunt. Now, I find when I come to church, it's what keeps me sharp. It keeps my language right. It, it's what... It keeps my thinking correct. It puts me in the right perspective. It's not saying that my marriage is this or it's my work is this or it's this or it's that. I'm declaring the promises of God. Because what happens is when we declare the promises of God, that's what will be fulfilled in our life. I am the head, not the tail. 
You know, even though the circumstances right now are not good, I know that my Redeemer lives. And it's those sort of things that when we're in the middle, it's our, how we see it. Is it a bottle of water or is it refreshing, life-giving fluid? How we see it will determine the outcome because God's aroma will only come through when we declare and re represent his love. When we read the first scripture, it talks about that we are the aroma of Christ. Christ, it's interesting, why did Christ come up with the church? I often think about that one too. God doesn't have a plan B. We are his plan A. And the biggest way to show people the love of Jesus is when we gather together. When we gather together as a community, it's when we become extremely powerful. We become an extremely great entity. Uh, if, you've, if, you spend, if you spend any time in the Defence Force, I can tell you this. Um, when you suffer together, when you do life together, when you're in the trenches together, when you're going through difficulties together, I can guarantee you that if I had a crisis in my life, which I've had in the past, it's amazing. The first people I tend to think about is my army buddies. Because I know, even though I might not have spoken to them for four years, ring them up and go, I need you, bang, they're there. Because there's a bond. And that's what the church needs to have, is a bond of friendship, a bond of love, a bond of connectedness that is so strong that when anybody has ha is in the trench, there's people jumping in the trench with them to fight their way through. So the first thing we need to look at is that practical Christianity. How do we do life practically? I know that, like, I've told my story, like, you know, 40-odd years ago when I was an arrogant, self-centred, opinionated police officer. That's exactly how you met me. But I can tell you today, my, my colleagues call me the preacher or they call me the social worker. Now, if you knew anything about me, the whole concept of social workers that is that they should have probably all been taken down the river and drowned. Aren't you joking, honey? <laughs> 15 years ago because I didn't, they just don't see the world in the proper reality. But what I found is, it's, and it, it's interesting, is that when you see people differently, when you focus on people differently, it's amazing how your response to them is different. I see each person now made in the image of God and that every person is redeemable regardless of what they've done because the moment I say that person lacks redemption, then I limit God's ability to forgive me. And so therefore, I see each person as you can never write a person off. You can always love a person and you can always show the love of Jesus to a person. And one of my greatest challenges now in policing is to get them to shake my hand as I lock them up and say, thank you, that was awesome. Uh, because you've been able to sell something greater than what has... The transaction has been greater. They'll go... I've had it where they'll say, the only police officer I'm going to talk to in an interview is Peter Walsh. Because I trust him. I don't trust you guys. Because, that's not because of anything other than showing the fragrance of Christ to people's lives. They probably wouldn't be able to put a finger on it and go, he's showing the fragrance of Christ. They just know, <laughs> they just know there's something different about you when you walk into a workplace, when you walk into a shopping centre, when you walk into the library, when you walk into a mother's group. But where does it all come from? It's coming from us. How well do we smell as a church? How well do we smell as a connect group? How well do we smell uh, as a united house 
under God. The next thing we've got to look at is just simple obedience. Ruth was just simply obedient to God. Just simple obedience to the practical things of life. I don't believe that there's anything there that says that Ruth was a great, amazing creature. She was outstanding at anything other than she was seen for who she was in her love for God. She used to say, all you... Uh, all that you tell me, I will do. That's what she said to Naomi. You just tell me and I will do it. Um, obedient heart. Our society is so consumed by greatness. It's so consumed about, it defines who we are. But um, there was a band called uh, DC Talk many years ago, had a ba- an album called Jesus Freak. On the album it quoted this one quote, the, sing- the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what the unbelieving world uh, simply uh, simply finds unbelievable. If Jesus, and and I I love this one, if you ever do Alpha, I recommend if you haven't done Alpha, do Alpha. But Alpha, he says, if Jesus rose from the dead, nothing else matters. So if Jesus rose from the dead, nothing else matters. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then nothing really matters. <laughs> there is no hope for the world. But if Jesus rose from the dead, what does that actually mean? Do we live a life where Jesus rose from the dead? Because you think about that. No one else has done that by himself. You know what I mean? People have been risen from the dead, but people, people have had, you know, there's been the amazing work of the Holy Spirit and God on that. But Jesus rose from the dead. That means he said who he said he was, which was the Son of God. And if he is the Son of God, how does that then change our life? How does that then change who we are? The third thing we've got to look at is love your neighbour. So who is your neighbour? You know, love your neighbour. To love is to serve. And we saw in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, love, uh, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are the aroma of Christ when our lives smell of love and service. That's not, you know, flogging yourself stupid, but it's loving regularly, serving regularly. And what that looks like is going to the checkout chick, the same one each time, so that your fragrance can just permeate in the end they'll go what is it about you you know what i mean we'll walk into coles and we'll get checkout checkout ladies will go come down here and they'll open up one for us so we're number one it's awesome because they sense something in us that they don't understand yet and as we see the triumph of christ is that through us those who are on the way to salvation will come and our fragrance of life is what how are we smelling during the week are we putting some artificial smelling on there? You know what I mean? It's like, are we doing kind things to look like we're kind, but we're not really kind? You know what I mean? Those sort of things we've got to look at. You know, the washing of feet, when Jesus washed the people's feet, you know, he turned around and he, um, you know, you've got to think about why do they wash feet anyway? Because that was a, you know, we don't do that today, do we? I don't go over to your house and start washing my feet, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we, we don't understand the concept, but... The problem was most of these people walked around or they rode horses, okay? So what had happened was they had sandals on. But the thing is, the roads were, you know, cows and horses and everything was on there, poo everywhere, permeate into the dust. 
okay? On, you know, they didn't have um, portaloos and toilets and a rest stop, so everybody did their business there as well. So when you were walking, you ended up getting covered in dust and muck and feces and all sorts of stuff. And so when you went to have dinner, the last thing you wanted was having dirty feet, right? Because they didn't sit at nice tables like we sit at, where your feet are covered. They actually laid down. So you'd go, oh man, jeez. So what, what, one of the things you used to do is you used to get the most pitiful slave or servant that you owned and they would wash everybody's feet as just a matter of course. So washing of feet wasn't a Jesus thing, it was a cultural thing. But it was always done by the lower slave, so it would be your job today. Um, but Jesus chose on that particular event to wash people's feet to highlight one thing. It's not about washing feet because, you know, you get the old Pope and he washes feet every, once a year, picks up 12 randoms and washes their feet. He's, he's doing it symbolically, but what God is saying is, be prepared to have a life that's interruptible, to help people on the journey to salvation and transformation. That's really what he's saying is, stop for a moment and speak into someone's life, or show them what life in Jesus actually looks like, so that they too can come to the knowledge of Jesus and have a transformed life. We are the aroma of Christ when we give fully, uh, joyfully to a friend in need. We are the aroma of Christ when we re uh, really listen to our spouse. I find that one hard, I'll be honest. But it is. You've got to stop sometimes and say, I don't need an answer, I just need to listen. Turn off the mouth, listen to the ears, go there. <laughs> you have the aroma of Christ when someone gives you a ride to the airport or goes to church or just stops and helps and listens. You're the aroma of Christ when you're just there for somebody who has just lost a loved one or is in need. You're the aroma of Christ when you volunteer your time and your energy just to help out. These are the things that make us different. These are the things that show us Jesus, or show Jesus in our lives. Williams Wordsworth said, the best portion of a good man's life, his little, nameless, unrememberable acts of kindness and love. We always want the glory things. We always want the things that get us note. But it's the little things that we do that go unnoticed often, but have a cumulative impact on people's lives. You know, I, I remember there was a guy who came up to me recently and said, you came and spoke to me once, and he said, you just said something into my life, and he said, you sent me on a path, and he said, I thank you for it. I didn't even, like, I can't even remember it, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, I find it's always a challenge to find the moments where you can speak life into people's lives. God doesn't, God does not look for the big, extravagant displays. Slow down. He says it in Micah 6, 8. He says, He has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's one of my favourite scriptures. Nice one to put on my tombstone, babe. Um, but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Do what's right. Do what's right. Do kindness. Kindness is not about you getting accolades. It's about just the overflow of what God is, and Christ has done in your life permeating into other people's lives. That's, what that, that's the true kindness we're talking about. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and just let it pour out the love and kindness that you have and walk humbly with your God. 
Ruth teaches us that it's really simple. We just need to have a practical, little by little, step by step approach of kindness and love to be obedient to our faith, not to just tick a box, but to actually embrace it. And then to just love one another. And how we love one another is just how we see one another. Let's see one another as developing in Christ. We're not perfect. And the thing about none of this is at no time was Ruth determined to be perfect. She was not, she was, she had a bad, she had a bad rap. She, she had a bad pedigree. And I, I think all of us have that. You know what I mean? We all have that bad pedigree. There's things we've done that we wish we hadn't done. Could be things that have prevailed, gone against us. The things that we, who define us. She was a Moabite. We might be this, we might be that. As we see, people may declare that over us. But what Christ says is, I died for you that you would be washed white as snow. And there's not one person that he says is not redeemable. Paul, one of my favorites, was a guy who killed Christians because he thought he was doing the right thing. And he redeemed him and he became one of the greatest men of faith to ever walk the earth. If he can do that for Paul, he can do that for literally anybody. You might be here today. This is your first time in church or you might have been in church a while or you've just come back or whatever it is. The challenge I want to do today is how well do I smell? What am I smelling of? What am I, what, who am I reflecting in my life? You know, and sometimes we, we come to this time and, you know, this will be a time where we're going to, you know, who wants to have a relationship with Jesus that's a relationship, not a functional activity? You know what I mean? It's a relationship with Jesus. Who is Jesus? If you don't know who Jesus is, here's a great time to start. If you've forgotten who Jesus is and he's become functional in your life, this is another great time to start. Sometimes a public declaration is a great way to start. But you know, at the end of the day, we're it. We're it. God wants us to reflect the aroma of Christ. And if you want to be on that journey, but there's, you know, we, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up in a moment if you have not known Jesus at all, you don't know who I talk about, and you want to know more about Jesus, and you want to invite him into your life as the Lord of your life, or if you've been a, a, a time away, for example, uh, and, and you, you're just back, or you've been coming, but it's been a functional thing, and you really want to make a declaration today that I'm going to be in relationship with Jesus. Or if you don't know if you're going to heaven, if you haven't got that assurance, it might be another day to start. Today may be another day to start that journey in I want to be in relationship with Jesus. I want to permeate his odour to the world around me. So with every head bowed, every eye closed. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.